0: From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast, manipulating the congressional maps.
1: The map was drawn in a way to penalize Democrats.
0: You're acting as if, just because of changing that line, you're going to change the outcome of the election. Pennsylvania's gerrymandered districts and the efforts to change them. You've taken millions of people and completely disenfranchised them. The courts will soon weigh in what advocates want to do to reform the process. Taking on house stealers, one sign at a time.
2: The bounty is open. For everybody who can bring me a sign up to $800, i will give you a buck for you.
0: West Philly man's scheme to curb bad gentrification and the reasons why the community is down with the cause. Radio.com. Radio. 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 Radio.
3: Radio.com.
0: Radio.com. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is gerrymandering. If you never heard of it, let me explain. Every 10 years, politicians use census data to redraw the maps to divide voters into districts based on population. Gerrymandering occurs when lawmakers manipulate the process to give their political party an advantage. According to the Brennan Center, Pennsylvania has one of the worst, most partisan congressional maps, in the country.
1: They use the voter rolls
4: and very sophisticated mathematics.
0: That's Temple law professor Peter Spiro, who explains that the current Pennsylvania maps were drawn by the Republican-controlled legislature back in 2011. Lawsuits have since been filed across the country to stop gerrymandering, including in the Commonwealth. Is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is Ben Geffen, a staff attorney at the Public Interest Law Center, Mike Meehan, chairman of the Republican City Committee here in Philadelphia, and finally on the phone, we have Carol Cunningholm, co-founder of Fair Districts, PA. Welcome to Flashpoint.
1: Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: First off, I want to, you know, start with Carol. obviously, uh, you saw a need for reform when it comes to gerrymandering. Could you frame the issue as you see it?
5: Well, gerrymandering is the manipulation of district maps for the benefit of a party or a person. And we believe that the gerrymandering of Pennsylvania's district maps, congressional and legislative, has made it very difficult for voters to participate in democracy. It kind of draws them out. They are put into districts that are selected by those who draw the lines. And it it diminishes voter choice, diminishes accountability. And we think it needs
0: to change. So, Mike, I mean, this issue has been you know, national and people have said that Republicans are the direct beneficiaries of this. How do conservatives view gerrymandering as an issue? I'm more of a
4: moderate than a conservative, mm-hmm. believe it or not. But redistricting is based upon population and all these districts, whether or not it's congressional. There's 18 districts in Pennsylvania that have to be the same population size. Getting to that equal f- form is what we're, we're trying to do. For the state legislature, you have to draw 203 districts of about the same size. For the state senate, you have to draw 50 districts of the same population size. So it... It takes some finagling, to tell you the truth.
0: Ben, you represent the League of Women Voters in a class action. What is the argument there?
1: People know that Pennsylvania is a very closely divided state, a swing state. Um, President Trump won the state in 2016. Governor Wolf, a Democrat, uh, won in 2014. So at the, at the statewide level, sometimes the state tilts Democratic, sometimes Republican. But the map is drawn in such a way that in every one of those elections, 2012, 2014, 2016, you had 13 Republicans and only five Democrats sent to the U.S. House. Our suit contends that that is because the map was engineered really with the intent of favoring Republicans and making it difficult for people on the out party to elect candidates of their choice.
0: People have said that the uh, 7th district map is the poster child for gerrymandering. Because it looks very strange.
4: Well, I agree it looks strange. The problem is when it was drawn back in 2000, they had different congresspeople. And what you're doing is avoiding drawing people out of their own district. So there is some have to be exceptions. I'm not saying it's an exception, but the county line between Philadelphia and Bucks County is not pierced.
0: And the 7th District goes through five counties.
4: The issue with really with that was the former congressman from Uh, Chester County, Joe Pitts, was a longtime congressman, and you'd have to draw him out of the district. He was the one causing that. But if you look at them, you're talking about Republican districts being drawn that way. Because once you get outside of Philadelphia, which by population is entitled to two congressmen plus a portion of a third— that's what we have. We have three congressmen all living in Philadelphia.
0: You heard Mike talk about this. Legislators are drawing their own map.
5: Absolutely. And they're doing it in a way that, that is harmful to the communities around them. So if you look at Montgomery County, by rights, Montgomery County should have one congressman said it's been drawn in such a way that Mon- Montgomery County is divided into five, five congressional districts, and none of those congressmen right now live in Montgomery County. I myself live in Chester County. I'm in District 6. District 6 goes through four counties. And so I would say you've, you've taken millions of people and completely disenfranchised them. I think that is not the way that democracy should work.
0: Ben, you guys have made legal arguments that the maps should be redrawn or, or that they're somehow illegal or unconstitutional.
1: The Pennsylvania Constitution has really strong protections for people's rights to expression and free association. And part of the basis for our challenge is that the map was drawn in a way to penalize Democrats for their political expression and their political association by jamming them into districts to minimize their political clout. I also want to emphasize that this isn't just a Democrats versus Republicans issue. In Pennsylvania in 2011, when the map was drawn, Republicans held the power. They they held both houses of the state legislature as well as the governorship. In other states, Democrats have held the power – and they have similarly abused that power by drawing districts in a way to penalize Republicans. And so we don't like it when either party does it.
0: Should this just be something that elected officials just should be able to do? Well, I don't disagree well. that, that
4: there are issues. But when you're talking about Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, that's where the, the most contested districts are. OK, but when you get outside that, they're few and far between, Sherry. The population of Philadelphia really requires at least participation in three districts. Once you get past three districts, then you have uh, 66 counties splitting 15. There's 51 counties. Their congressman does not live in their in their county.
1: Sometimes we hear the argument made that, uh, well, all the Democrats live in Philly and Pittsburgh. And so it's just natural that the map is going to have a couple of Democratic seats in those cities and the rest of the state will be Republican. That actually doesn't withstand scrutiny. You could just as easily uh, draw up the lines in this state to make it a a heavily slanted democratic plan. We wouldn't like that any more than we like the current plan, because both plans warp the democracy by by really carefully drawing up the lines for naked partisan advantage.
5: If you look across the state at our district maps, you'll see community after community after community that's divided very precisely to cut particular communities out of any real representation. And the issue of finagling maps, of course, we've always had a need to juggle populations and maps. But now with the technology that we have, which is very precise mapping abilities and all sorts of data mining capabilities, those who draw the maps are able to take that information and really shape those districts in a way that allow them to predict and control the outcomes of those districts across time.
0: Now, admittedly, I mean, drawing these maps isn't necessarily the easiest thing, but do you think that maybe this one goes a little too far, especially in certain areas?
4: I do not, because if I went to argue with the people around the state, they'd like to push Philadelphia into the Delaware River and be separated from it.
0: Isn't this still a problem, Mike, when you well, look at it's this? it's a
4: problem, but if you go back, I think after the 2000 election, there was a case in North Carolina regarding a congressional district the district was 195 miles long, and at one point, it was no w- wider than a roadway. Now, that's a problem. It's not easy, Sherry, to, to come up with these things.
1: Well, we could certainly do better than the 7th District in Pennsylvania. That's the one that people call Goofy Kicking Donald Duck, and if you look at a map of it, it's it's a, it's several big areas that are connected by tiny, skinny strips in a way that's designed to twist and contort around other districts to, uh, to to ensure a safe seat for a Republican member of Congress.
4: But when you're talking about the districts, they're all Republican. You're acting as if just because of
1: changing that line, you're going to change the outcome of the election. The five Democratic districts are packed with Democrats. They're in the 80 to 90 percent Democrat range. The 13 Republican districts are more in the neighborhood of 55, 57, 59 percent Republican. And and the overall outcome of this is that the general elections don't really matter in this state. The outcome is predetermined by the map.
5: If your election is decided before... Election Day, you have no choice whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. If it's decided before the election, you've been cut out of the situation and people are unhappy. So voters, as they become aware of this, say this absolutely has to change.
0: The U.S. Supreme Court is currently hearing a case, a case out of Wisconsin, dealing with this very issue. Prior to this time, the court has been very reluctant to deal with the issue. Do you think the court will weigh in and should they weigh in?
1: I think the court should weigh in and I think that the courts will weigh in. At some point, enough is enough. This is something that gets worse every decade and it gets worse in part because our, our partisan politics have gotten more polarized decade by decade. It also gets worse because of the expert consultants who use big databases of everything from voter turnout to consumer preferences to figure out who's going to vote for which political party. And they're able to draw the districts with surgical precision to ensure that incumbents aren't yeah. threatened, to ensure that parties don't lose their control over a state house or a congressional delegation.
0: Do you think the courts are weighing Mike on this? I think they may
4: be reluctant in that reapportionment's going to be done after the the 2020 election. And the problem really causes how, how often we're going to do this. How late can the appeals come? Okay, because this reapportionment was done in 2012. It's now 2018.
1: So it's interesting, Mike, that you bring up the timing. Uh, And let me talk a bit about the timing of of this lawsuit. Um, After the 2000 census in Pennsylvania and in a number of other states, people challenged the maps by filing lawsuits right away. They lost in court because the court said, well, it's too hypothetical. You're just speculating about what the elections are going to be like under this map. And we don't know. Um, In this case, we do know that because we've had three congressional elections already under this map in 2012 and 2014 and 2016. And what we know is that no matter what the mood of the electorate is, no matter what the big issues are, no matter which party is winning on a statewide basis, the outcome is always the same. That is real proof. It's not just speculation about how effective uh, these maps are. At robbing elector, robbing voters of political clout,
0: should there be some type of solution?
5: All of our districts are problematic, and people in those districts can show, show you what's problematic, and and we are supporting a constitutional amendment that would put in place an independent redistricting commission. They would have stern rules about how it would be drawn. It would take the impetus to draw them in these strange ways away.
0: Do you think politicians should just be removed from the process, let citizens do it?
5: Upfront problem
4: with this whole thing is she's requiring a constitutional amendment. Well, that's going to have to be voted upon
5: by the same legislators. You're going to affect their district. Yeah, no. and many of the legislators would love to see it changed. They, they feel like it's, it's difficult representing those weird shapes. And they feel like it gives too much power to the party leaders to draw them off the map if they try to vote their conscience. For legislators as well as people, we are all cut out of the process. And only a handful of people are left kind of manipulating us all as pawns in their game. So
1: last word, and I'm going to do a round robin here. Um, Ben. This was a a bad problem after the 2000 census. It got worse after the 2010 census. And unless something happens, it's going to get even worse after the 2020 census.
5: We would strongly encourage people to learn more, to take a look at their own maps. We have a page on our website where people can zoom in and look at the congressional maps, but also their state House and Senate maps and see how strange they are and begin to think about who got cut out, why, and who is who is benefiting from this. So we are strongly supporting a constitutional amendment. We encourage people to learn more and become involved. And our website is FairDistrictsPA.com.
0: Wonderful. Mike, last word? We go through this every
4: 10 years. The seats are equal population as required Uh, if they comply with the constitution which means they have to be contiguous and they have to keep communities together then they're going to be upheld
0: all right well thank you so much um for talking about this flashpoint again um i want to say thank you to mike mian i want to say thank you to carol cunningholm and finally to ben geffen for having this discussion
1: thank you jerry thank you so much
0: Next up, an effort to stop house stealing.
2: Got these outside investors coming in and really preying on families. A West Philly lawyer's bounty
0: that's sparking change one sign at a time. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one issue that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is gentrification. So many city neighborhoods are in transition, but when you walk the blocks, you see these signs that say, quote, we buy houses. They're everywhere. They're illegally attached to utility poles. A sign that outside investors are lurking, hoping to prey on and take advantage of longtime residents who may be in a financial bind. But one man decided to put a stop to it in his own way. We have Michael Froelich. His name has showed up in recent articles after he offered to put a bounty on those unsightly signs. Mike, welcome to Flashpoint.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you here. So what exactly pissed you off about those We Buy Houses signs?
2: Like a lot of people in in Philadelphia, I see them everywhere. Uh, I live in West Philadelphia, and these signs have been popping up with increasing regularity all over the place. In some parts of my neighborhood, there's two or three of these We Buy Houses signs every block. And I just started thinking, what can I do about this? And I decided, what if I offer a bounty? I posted something on a neighborhood uh, Facebook page saying I would offer a $1 bounty for any We Buy Houses sign that people could bring to me.
0: And what was the reaction? It was crazy.
2: Well, at first I made it. I made it in the beginning. I said, my uh, I, I've got $200 to spend on this, which was a little bit of a reach for me. But I figured that if I could get $200, 200 signs off the streets, that that would actually make a difference. I got 200 uh, signs within 24 hours. And then a friend and a neighbor of mine said that, that she would match it. So then I said, I'll, I'll go up to $400, 400 signs. And within 48 hours, I had 400 signs. Uh, since then, completely unsolicited. Um, uh, I've received um, almost another eight hundred dollars from people who hate these signs as much as as I do, and so the bounty is open for everybody who can bring me a sign up to eight hundred. I'll give you a buck for each one.
0: These signs are illegal. They're on utility poles. They're not supposed to to face these utility poles. So they're first of all they're wrong in that in that sense. But you're by day you're a lawyer, That's... so you dealt with people. Um, and what did you find about the the folks who put these signs up?
2: That's right. So my day job is I'm a legal aid lawyer with Community Legal Services. We help homeowners save their homes from mortgage and tax foreclosure sales. This was sort of in the same vein as that, but it, it went a little bit afield, and it was definitely something that I was doing on my own. You know, nobody likes the way these signs look. But more importantly, I feel that they really disparage the reputation and the and the feel of a neighborhood. You've got these outside investors coming in, and really preying on families who are in vulnerable financial situations. That was really what I was focusing on, is how can I, I help these homeowners? Look, I have no problem with homeowners, especially longtime homeowners, who are in gentrifying neighborhoods, cashing out, selling their home, and moving on but what really irks me is when these we buy houses uh, folks trick the homeowners and don't allow the homeowners to get fair market value for their home.
0: And so is that what you found that these people when you call these numbers when they do make these offers they're far below.
2: That's exactly right. What what we typically find at community legal services is families come in to see us and they suffered some kind of a temporary financial crisis um maybe the mom lost their her job or maybe um you know a cousin got locked up and the family needed bail money or maybe the 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 dad needed immigration uh, needed an immigration lawyer and and caught in this desperate situation they see one of these signs they call up the the uh the number on the sign post and the nice person who answers the phone or typically you leave a message and then you get a phone call back says Uh, I'll come out and look at your house. They look at the house and they – maybe your house is worth, say, $100,000. But the person that comes out says, I think your house is actually worth $60,000. And before you know it, before that family has the ability to do the due diligence to find out what their home is actually worth – Uh, they've signed the papers and sold their their homes for pennies on the dollar. And that's what gets me about these predatory We Buy Houses signs.
0: Were you shocked at the sheer number of folks who were pissed off enough to match your dollars?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Very shocked. I'm annoyed with these these so-called bandit signs. And I didn't know that so many people shared that annoyance. A lot of people who did bring me the signs uh, said to me, look, we were going to tear these signs down out of our neighborhoods already. But the fact that you were offering a bounty made us do it this weekend and and made us, you know, go and tear down even more signs than we usually had.
0: Now, these signs aren't necessarily easy to get down. Can you give folks some tips? Because I know that (laughs) other neighborhoods will probably end up doing the same thing. I use a stool. Some people have
2: reported that they have these uh, s- short, six-foot uh, step ladders or three-foot step ladders that they go up on. Some of them are low enough that you can you know, stand on your tippy toes and reach up and pull them down. Just snatch them. That's right. Um, most of them are are hammered into I- illegally hammered into the the telephone mm-hmm. poles. Um, others are illegally uh, zip tied to the the pole. If you do want to take these illegal bandit signs down in your neighborhood, then. I'd recommend that you bring out something to stand on, and uh, and maybe even a utility knife.
0: People in this city do not play; they'll like something. They will <laughs> let you know. And, um, and and so, what are you hoping happens from this? Are you hoping it ripples across the city and and just sort of. We don't see these signs anymore.
2: I sure hope so. And already I've been contacted by a lot of folks in different neighborhoods who are thinking about doing the same thing in their neighborhoods. I think all it would take is a couple of months of sustained resistance against these these signs and against these we buy houses, you know, predators um to take down all their signs before uh, these investors sort of give up on this scheme. Maybe they move on to another scheme, but they give up on this scheme and decide to take, uh, to, to, to take their, their uh, effort somewhere else.
0: Because these signs are a sign that people are preying comu- on the community. Basically,
2: that that's right. You know, and unfortunately, um, you know, they must think that it's an an easy buck to go after uh, vulnerable um, uh, families, vulnerable communities uh, to to steal their homes. But, you know, I I do want to mention this other piece. And this is, I think, really an important part for me, at least, is that you see these signs sort of disproportionately in um, in communities of communities of color. And not just in Philadelphia, but sort of across yeah. the country, we have got a serious racial wealth gap. And, you know, there are some studies out there that say that median white wealth is 12 times that of median black wealth. And the equity that families have in their homes makes up, you know, like two thirds of the, the family wealth and when you put these these predatory we buy homes signs we buy houses signs in these neighborhoods it, it when you put these it signs robs it robs those it, families exactly right exactly right and um there's lots of reasons to to really get you know irritated and annoyed by these uh, predators coming into our neighborhoods. Um, But one of them is just sort of the disproportionate effect that it has on low-income families of color.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people, I mean, Philadelphia, I mean, has one of the highest poverty rates. Usually, especially in communities and families of color, the home is the most valuable thing that people own or have. And so to sell it at, you know, a 40% discount, could be devastating to that family.
2: That's right. That's how we build intergenerational wealth, is we pass down the family home from generation to generation. And it's especially how uh, how families of color build intergenerational wealth in Philadelphia. This is just another attack on the tradition of the Philadelphia family home being passed down from generation to generation. Look, I'm under no illusion that tearing down signs is going to stop these predators from going after vulnerable families. If it contributes in a small way, then um, I'm glad that that I started this project.
0: Wonderful. And um, I understand that you, because people brought you these like 400 signs, that they were stacked up. Right. Did your wife get mad? I mean, were people upset about this?
2: So I now have 400 or 500 signs in our front room. And the, the – as I said earlier, the bounty continues. So, you know, we have enough money in this bounty fund for another six or 700 signs. I don't yet have a good idea about what uh, we're going to do with all these signs. Um, my 8-year-old my daughter loves them um, and loves to sort of make forts out of them and play with them. But eventually, I'm going to have to figure out what to do with them. And and I was thinking perhaps I would, you know, have some kind of a contest to figure out, you know, what's the best, what's the best thing to do with these signs. But at this point, I have no idea.
0: Wonderful. But the, the fact is that this is just another example of what a person who sees something that they don't like can just deal with it and get community support in no time.
2: And you never know how much support you're going to get and how many other people feel the same way you do. Uh, until you take that first step.
0: Wonderful. So, Mike, can people follow you on Twitter, Facebook, find out more about this, if they see those signs and they want a piece of this bounty?
2: If you are interested in participating in this uh, hunt for illegal bandit, we buy houses signs, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at frolic one So that's at F-R-O-E-H-L-I-C-H and the number one.
0: Wonderful. So, Mike, Congratulations on rolling up your sleeves, getting on a stepstool and ripping these things down. Uh, I'm hoping and I'm sure other Philadelphians will follow suit and that this will become a citywide phenomenon.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be here.
0: Thanks for being on Flashpoint. Next up, bringing nonprofits together. Do
3: we want to be about
0: how do we ultimately drive change? I'll tell you the new ways a decades old coalition is opening doors for change makers. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and this week, it's all about finding solutions through partnerships. The greater Philadelphia area is home to thousands of nonprofits, many working on their own, but one group is unique— The Urban Affairs Coalition unites government, business neighborhoods, and individual initiatives to improve the quality of life in the region, among other goals. And with me in the studio to discuss UAC and this year's focus is Charmaine Matlock-Turner, the nonprofit's president and CEO. Welcome, Charmaine. Thank you, Sherry. I know UAC has a long history in the Philadelphia area. For those who may have forgotten or don't know, what does Urban Affairs Coalition do and how has its mission shifted? over the past few years?
3: We started in 1968. Unfortunately, after the assassination of Dr. King, the community came together, government, business, neighborhoods, and said, we don't want it just to be about us being outraged. We want it to be about how do we ultimately drive change? UAC, over those wonderful 47 years, has been about marrying downtown interests with uptown concerns, meaning that we have to work together in collaboration and, in partnership, in coalition, if we're going to solve some of the really tough issues that face our community. A
0: lot of organizations affiliate with UAC to sort of
3: make a bigger impact. Absolutely. Um one of the things we learned was that there were people in communities who were saying, well, I'd like to help, I'd like to be involved. And yet the whole sort of process of really contracting and doing all what we call the back office or business services, you know, really requires a lot of time and it really requires an investment. So we said, what about if we provide that as a service? Then we can ultimately help people do what they really want to do. they really want to work in communities they really want to solve problems so that 's how we started out um, for fee bringing people together, and then we found that there were great ways for us to partner too. So we think that we have continued to be a real place for and a home for nonprofits Sherry, over our history, we have managed more than a billion dollars wow. in public investment. For community based organizations and every dollar has been for what the funder uh, wanted those dollars to go for. So people trust us. They know that we're really there to make it possible for communities uh, to work on solving their own problems. Wonderful.
0: And so I know that you were the first woman to become president and CEO of UAC. And you've been in this position for quite some time Yeah,
3: since 1999. I know I can't believe it myself. I keep like I, I look around and I go. Wow. But I'm, I still love my job. I'm still excited about it. So, uh, yeah, but I've been there since 1999. I'm the fourth uh, executive director of the coalition. So the good news is that we've had consistent leadership over our 47 years. And I think that's been helpful in making sure that the organization is well-grounded as well as well-respected. Every year, uh, the UAC
0: holds a big breakfast. Everybody and their mama And you're always there, too. And you're (laughs) always there, Cherry. Every year. And I remember last year specifically stood out in my mind because it was right after the election of President Donald Trump. And so the theme has shifted to vigilance. How have you seen that theme carry out over the past year?
3: Well, we've seen really people talking and coming together. Um, We've been invited to more conversations. I must admit, I am really happy that people who don't traditionally talk about diversity and inclusion and equity are quite open to having that conversation and wanting to know, are we really connecting in a ways that we should? We ultimately believe that, you know. With every time there is like one of these, I think, sort of disruptions and what I would call a very negative disruption that sort of starts to pit people and try to divide people. There are groups of people out there who've been working together. And I would say in Philadelphia, because our civic leadership is very deep and people tend to stay in this space for some period of time that I feel as if people are sort of getting it. Every time I go someplace, someone's like, okay, Charmaine, we got to talk. We got to figure this out. We got to make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen in Philadelphia, that we aren't sort of dividing ourselves up in that way.
0: Part of what the Urban Affairs Coalition Breakfast does is sort of inject people with that feeling.
3: Time to get to work. Exactly. We're going to have 900 people at the Pennsylvania Convention Center on Friday morning before the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, there to really celebrate. And our theme this year, Cherry, is and still we rise. So we're not going to let the sort of negative tone of the world stand against those of us who believe that we know that we can ultimately make a difference. We can come together no matter what the other messages may be. So we'll be there to celebrate. We'll be there to celebrate everyone who comes out to encourage them to say, don't give in, don't give up. There is still opportunity here. There is still work for us to do. And if we do it together, we're going to win. Definitely. And so give me all the details. Are tickets still available? Tickets are still available. Um, I checked before we started our conversation just to make sure. But there are a few tickets available. So we definitely want people uh, to go on our website, uac.org. The information is there. That person you've been trying to find like for the last two months that you just had to tell your story to or you just wanted to talk with, they're going to be at our breakfast.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. And I'm not necessarily a morning person, but I get up early for the UAC breakfast. So they'll be honoring uh, William Ewing Esquire, Kenneth Frazier, as well as the Reverend Dr. Lorena Marshall Blake, November 17th. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much it for flashpoint the podcast i hope you enjoyed this exclusive content follow kyw news radio on twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag flashpoint You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app or by visiting KYWnewsradio.com and clicking audio. And soon you'll be able to subscribe to Flashpoint on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know. And we'll walk you through the flames. As Congressman John Lewis says, get out there and push and stand up and speak out and get in the way. Get in trouble. Good trouble necessary trouble. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.